Good morning, everyone. Um, I just want to thank the, all the volunteers that participated in that video. It's uh, difficult enough to open yourself up to one person, let alone dozens, you know, so, so thank you for that video. And I hope you don't have big plans today because we might run a little long. So my name is Alan. Welcome to Rich Community Church. Thank you all for, for being here. Today, we are going to begin a, a short two-part series titled, Sand. I came up with a very difficult title all by myself. <laughs> and what we are going to talk about, uh, and what the message is going to revolve around, is the idols that exist in our hearts. And before we begin the message, I want to share with you a little story I came across. The article came from the Wall Street Journal. It was written by, by Leonard Modino um, on the life of baseball great Joe DiMaggio from the 1940s. So, and the article goes, It was the summer of 1945 and World War II had ended. Former soldiers streamed back from America and the American life. Stream back into America and the American life. One of the recently returned soldiers was Yankee slugger Joe DiMaggio. He slipped into the baseball stadium with his four-year-old son, Joe, hoping to watch a game as just an average citizen before rejoining his team. A, a fan noticed him, then another. Soon, throughout the whole stadium, people were chanting, Joe, 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 Joe DiMaggio! DiMaggio was moved by this tribute, and he looked down to see if his son had noticed. He had. In fact, he looked up at his father, smiling ear to ear, and said, See, Daddy, everybody knows me. <laughs> I found that to be very funny. So, little Joy Jr. had made the mistake of thinking that all of the accolades and glory were being directed at him and, and not his father. And boy, isn't that what we tend to do at times. We live our lives as if it were all about us and our glory rather than living our lives for our Father in heaven and, and his glory. I'm just a little bit guilty of that. By, by a little, I mean a lot. I'm so guilty of this that I've actually begun to look at idols in my life I didn't even think about. And as I will share with you next week, uh, I will give you a few examples, uh, a couple of my own painful real examples um, as to how idolatry can manifest itself in our lives. Today, we are going to define idolatry and Think about how serious this issue can be in all of our lives. And we'll start by what the Bible says about idolatry. I guess it's a good place to start the Bible. In the Bible, uh, idolatry includes, of course, the, the ritual worship of, of, of gods other than the true God of Israel. It means to, to bow down, to, to worship, to trust 
another God more so than the God of the Bible. Just think Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, where it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Or Exodus chapter 23, verse 13. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. In the, books, in the book of, of Acts, we can see vivid descriptions of the cultures of the ancient Roman world and how they worship their favorite deities and build shrine around their, uh, around their images for worship. When Paul went to Athens, he saw that it was literally filled with these images of, of these divinities. Acts chapter 17, 16 says, Now while Paul was waiting for that... Uh, uh, was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Some of the ones they had were Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, Ares, the god of war, Artemis, the goddess of fertility and wealth, and Hephaestus, the god of craftsmanship. And our current society is really not fundamentally different from these old cities in the New Testament. We, we all know we cannot make the mistake of confining idolatry to literally buying, bowing down before the images of, of other, of false gods. We know it can certainly be done externally in the soul. I'm sorry, we, we certainly know it can be done internally in the soul and heart without being done externally and, and literally. Just think Ezekiel verse 14, I'm sorry, Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 3 where God says about the elders of Israel, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. Or Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So idolatry, we know, is not only a problem of literally bowing down to something which some cultures around the world still do, but it's also some that it that it's also something that it's done in the heart. And if you ask me, that is scary. You know, like I shared with you before, I was not aware of how many things I can come and have come to worship more than God. Felt so bad about myself that I've actually joked around with some people saying that the only reason why Paul said in First Timothy chapter 1 of who I am the worst of sinners was because he did not know me. It's true. So going through the motions of feeling convicted by these idols of mine, some I experienced now and, and others I've experienced before, they, they all really left me with, with feeling with similar emotions. Besides the, besides the truth in God's word, where it says about idols in Colossians chapter 3, verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. They all really left me unsatisfied. They, they, I, was, I was always left searching, searching for more. And that is really how the idea came to be for, for the title on this short series, Sand. The idea that no matter how much you try to hang on to a fistful of sand over time, it's always going to leave you with nothing. That if you try over and over and over again over time, 
it is always going to leave you empty-handed. You know, in, in this wonderful, magnificent country of ours, the best nation on the face of this earth, We can come to believe that prosperity could quench our yearningness for happiness, which the incomplete joys of this world will never be able to satisfy our hearts with. I actually told some people that I believe Christians in this country have it harder than in many other countries around the world. And they think I'm crazy. Some. Some, not all. You know, the, the list of gods that we are able to find around us is, is endless. The, the comforts and, and security we are offered in this magnificent country of ours are, are abundant. And I'm not saying that having these comforts and, and feeling secure is wrong. But have you ever thought how quickly things we have come to know, things we, 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 we have and come to know as comforts, move into the category of necessities. And then become God-given rights. And then we say, if you love me, then I should have them. Let me give you a list of, of facts I came across. I love some facts. In 1900, less than 10% of the population owned a stove. In 1915, less than 10% of the population owned a car. In 1930, less than 10% of the population owned a refrigerator or a washing machine. In 1945... Less than 10% of the population owned an air conditioner. 1960, less than 10% of the population owned a dishwasher. I'm still in that 10%, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> Buying a new house, man, it's, it's difficult. Around the same time frame, less than 10% of the population owned a color TV. In 1975, less than 10% of the population owned a microwave. And in 1990, less than 10% of the population owned a cell phone. Can you imagine the catastrophe of not having some of these things? Can you imagine not having a microwave? I wouldn't be able to have dinner ready anymore. And I'll be like, yeah, baby, we're, we're having cereal for dinner tonight. <laughs> Painfully true story. What about not having a TV? I wouldn't be able to fall asleep anymore. What, you want me to read a book? Nah, man. Nope. I guess I'll pray and fall asleep, you know. That's nice when praying is my last resort. So no microwave, no, no TV. What about not having AC? 
you know, I've become so accustomed to have AC that if there was no AC, I would be praying to God for the rapture to come. I'd be like, Father Jesus, Lord Holy Spirit, you know, I, I fought the good fight, I ran the good race. Just take me. I mean, just this past week, how many, how many of us turned on the AC? I was in, uh, uh, right in college and, and Oleander, I was stuck in traffic, it was 70 degrees, oh, whoa, me, and I was like, man, I need some AC. Maybe I have a problem. I don't know. And what about not having a, a cell phone? I mean, how would we survive, right? I mean, how in the world would I know how, how much I read in the Bible without my Bible app? There'll be no way of knowing. You know, when I see my, my grandma sometimes, she has picked on me because of the attention I give to my phone or, or because how dependent I become of it. <sighs> you know, and, and, and I'm like, well, you know, Grandma, like, if you had one, you would understand it. You know, the cell phones we have now look like this. Back then, the cell phones you guys had back in the day looked like this. Not too cool. Not much to look at. Some Christians feel weird about that joke. And all this, I I, I guess, help us to put some things into perspective. The materialism of this world brings to us a a different desire and focus where we begin not to worship at, at, at the feet of Jesus, but at the feet of materialism. Where we find the unquenchable need to feed our egos through the acquisition of more and more and more stuff. Our homes are all but filled to the brim with all manner of stuff, with all manner of possessions. We build bigger and, and bigger houses with more closets and, and storage space in order to keep all the things that we buy. And in the process, we find ourselves in debt or, or out of money. One author wrote, most of our stuff has planned obsolescence built into it. Meaning that they will become obsolete and outdated, making it useless in no time. And so we consign it to the garage or other storage space. Then we rush out to buy the newest item, garment, or gadget, and the whole process starts over. End quote. This insatiable desire for more, better, newer stuff is nothing more than covetousness, which the Tenth Commandment tells us not to fall prey to coveting. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his manservant or maidservant. His ox or donkey. Or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. 
Yeah, okay. You know, God is, is not a mean God who does not allow us to have nice things or doesn't want us to have entertaining gadgets or like to rain on, on our parade of buying new things just because He wants to. He just knows that we will never be happy indulging our materialistic desires because it is Satan's trap to keep our focus on ourselves and not on Him. Ephesians chapter 5 verse, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5 says, For this you know with certainty, that knowing moral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. From the Bible, we find verse after verse after verse against idolatry. We find verse after verse against that explains the dangers and, and seriousness of idolatry. And, and we all know it. But we still do it. So what is the problem? You know, I, um, I, do, I do think... That when we as Christians read verses on, on idolatry, we, we do understand how serious this is and how much we don't want our lives to be centered in anything else other than God. I mean, I'm willing to bet that if you ask today, today anyone after service or almost any Christian you know a question about idolatry or if they thought idolatry was a bad thing or if they want God to be their top priority in their life, we will probably all answer, absolutely. I want God to be my priority. God is my priority. Idolatry is a bad thing, a very dangerous one, a very serious one, and, and we shouldn't do it. But I think the mistake we, we tend to make is of overlooking idols in our lives because we almost only tend to focus on idols and how these manifest themselves in our lives in a very clear, wrong way. Obvious idols such as money, pride, sexual immorality, power, greed, or, or control. If we're not tithing or, or tithing less because we're greedy with our money. Um, if we want the car or, or house or clothes or, or, or we want their looks because we are covetous. Or, or something as obviously bad as sexual impurity. We are quick to recognize things like this and, and we try to fix them which is good, which is not bad of course. Or, or we say, well, you know, I'm tithing so I don't think money is an idol and I'm happy with what I have so I don't think I'm covetous or, you know, I'm, I'm faithful to my spouse so I don't think sexual immorality is an idol. And, and we think, we think, we think, we think, we think that we might be in the clear and we don't really pay attention or even know that there are other very subtle things that can be idols. We don't tend to self-examine our, self ourselves much or focus to look at things that can have behind them an idolatrous desire. Things such as good grades, shopping, or family. Let me ask you a question. Do you know more lyrics to songs than you do Bible verses? (laughs) 
How about how many likes we get? How about how many followers we have? Or even how perfect we want our front yard to look like. You know, John Piper said this about idolatry. So finally, what is an idol? Well, it is the thing. It is the thing loved or the person loved more than God. It is the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. It could be a girlfriend. It could be good grades. It could be the approval of other people. It could be success in business. It could be sexual stimulation. It could be a hobby or a musical group that you are following or a sport or your immaculate yard. And then he goes on to give an example of his own. I was looking for some yard stuff the other day and I clicked on a video ad for, in a, in, on a video ad for a yard service and three people came on and all of them made the point that this yard service enabled them to brag that they had the best yard in the neighborhood. I thought, what a motivation. I want to be number one in green grass. So that could be an idol. Or your own looks could be an idol. It could be anything. Now you, you still have to get good grades and you still got to cut your grass. I still got to cut my grass. I still got to cut my grass. I still got to cut my grass. But anything could be an idol. Anything could have the same effect of idol worship in our hearts in the same way that the golden calf did that the Israelites built up when Moses went up to Mount Sinai. Another pastor said this about idolatry. Idols are mere reflections. But in reality, they are more like a mirage, an illusion, than the real item. People worship pleasure and money and power and fashion and fame. But when they get their hands on some item, some thing, some person, some accomplishment, some title, some money, some new toy, they discover it was a mirage. It didn't give them the pleasure after all, and they're still unsatisfied, feeling empty and left with nothing. The mirage couldn't quench their thirst. The truth is the danger of idolatry is bound up in the fact that we were created to worship. We must worship, and we will worship. The human soul will find an object of worship either on the shelf, on the altar or in the mirror. Your God is whatever you seek, serve, love, and allow to control you. That's the real God upon the throne of your heart. Pretty mind-boggling stuff, isn't it? You know, the Apostle Paul said, Covetousness is idolatry, and he urged the believer to flee from it. Covetousness is whatever it is we crave. It's truly that which has first place in our hearts. He writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee 
from idolatry. And to bring back again to what he said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 through 6, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. It's real serious stuff. And let's, and let's think about something real quick. What happens to us when we focus on, on other things other than God? I mean, while, while we're still here on earth, while, while we're trying to live life, what happens, what happens to our thoughts, to our psyche, if you will? What happens to our perceptions of life? What happens to our soul when we lose track of God and, and focus more on other things. And Psalm 115 verse 8 gives us a, a short but profound truth about this. Psalm 115.8 says, Those who make them, talking about idols, become like them. So do all who trust in them. In other words, we become like that of which we idolize, follow, or, or crave. We become like the idols we create. We become as empty or as filled as the idol we so passionately pursue. If we pursue money, we will probably end up embittered by those who have more than us. If we pursue validation or approval, we will find ourselves in absolute despair if what we have accomplished don't seem like much or if we are praised very little. And let me, and let me tell you something about approval and validation as I will share with you a personal example with you next week. Seeking validation, living to seek validation and approval from people is almost live, like living life in chains. On the other hand, if you do accomplish much or if you are praised, we will end up egotistically consumed by what we have accomplished or by the praises we receive from people. And every time after that, if we don't receive it, we are going to begin to doubt everything and can even grow depressed or, or anxious. If we pursue the temporary idols of beauty and strength, we will probably fall prey to living a shallow life. The, the pull of beauty and strength is so pervasive that it is such a struggle for any of us to feel good about ourselves. We also run into the danger of assessing people merely by their looks and not by God's perception of them. Guilty, 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 guilty. If we pursue 
sexual experiences outside of God's prescribed norms, we will end up sexually dissatisfied and empty. A Christian writer put it this way. An idol represents that which is false and empty. And a person who lives for idols will themselves become false and empty. If I can invite the worship team up, please. At the end of his letter, John says in in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. He gives the the warning to stay away from idols in in a very tender approach. Little, little children. It's a very affectionate term. Almost revealing as if he is writing from the vantage point of a loving parental concern. Knowing that our Father in Heaven has this tender, loving concern for us. So loving that He gave us the one to help us overcome the idols in our lives and and set our hearts straight you know this 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 uh this world is nothing it is a mere sh- shadow of what truly matters we are nothing I, I am nothing in my natural state an insect deserves heaven more than i do we are nothing apart From the grace of the one who saves us. And Christ, He is everything. Oh, He is everything. So, as this week goes by, and and hopefully we'll see you next week. Just think about what things may be idols in your life. Um, some questions that may help you. It's not the only questions to figure, figure them out, but some questions that may help you discern any idols in your life could be what makes you fall into sin? Where? Another one is, where does your mind effortlessly go to? When you're daydreaming. Maybe not once or twice. But in a habitual way. Where does your mind ponder to? Constantly. Another one is, are you willing to compromise your beliefs for it? For the thing, for that desire, for that crave. And, and last one, how do you emotionally respond 
get angry, envious, jealous. If you can't do it. Or if you can't get it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for, for allowing us to uh, be here today. I, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you may be able to ignite some knowledge of the idols that we have first and foremost in our surface and then in our in the dark chambers of our hearts so that you can bring light to it and so that we can kill them with your help. There is hope and the hope only comes through you. Amen.